Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to another bonus short lecture from the History Teachers Talking Podcast, where Tom or I will lecture on big topics in little time. For more information, you can visit us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com or visit evergreenpodcast.com. When looking at the individuals who are part of the presidential landscape, three come to mind as maybes. Two you might not have ever heard of, and one was the only president of the United States never elected to that position. I bet you never heard of John Hansen, yet some claim it was he, and not George Washington, that was our nation's first president. In 1781, Maryland finally signed the Articles of Confederation, the very first governing body of the United States before the creation of the American Constitution. And the union among the 13 states became an actuality. John Hansen, the man who signed for Maryland, was immediately elected president of the assembly. His formal title was President of the United States in Congress Assembled. Even George Washington himself addressed Hansen as President of the United States. When Washington won his great victory at Yorktown, Hansen sent the general a letter of congratulations. Washington reciprocated at once, addressing his letter to the President of the United States. Many people have argued that John Hansen and not George Washington was thus the first President of the United States. But that is not quite true. Under the Articles of Confederation, the United States had no executive branch. The President of Congress was a ceremonial position within the Congressional Congress. Although the office required Hansen to deal with correspondence and to sign official documents, it wasn't the sort of work that any President of the United States under the new Constitution would have done. Hansen also did not really enjoy his job. He found the work tedious and wished to resign. Unfortunately, the Articles of Confederation hadn't accounted for how succession would work and his departure would have left Congress without a president. Because he was a patriot, John Hansen decided to stay. While there, he served from November 5, 1781 until November 3, 1782, and he was able to remove all foreign troops from American lands after the American Revolutionary War. He also introduced the Treasury Department, the first Secretary of War, and the first Foreign Affairs Department. He also led the fight to guarantee the statehood of the Western territories beyond the Appalachian Mountains that had been controlled by some of the original colonies. What's probably most interesting about Hansen is also the fact that he was responsible for establishing Thanksgiving Day as the fourth Thursday in November. Some people think it was George Washington that made Thanksgiving an actual holiday. That is technically correct. However, the first Thanksgiving proclamation made by a man with the formal title of President of the United States was issued by John Hansen, who adopted that title under the Articles of Confederation. He set aside the last Thursday in November as it is today. Hansen too was celebrating a major American achievement, progress in negotiations with the British to end the Revolutionary War. As for George Washington, he issued the first Thanksgiving proclamation by a president under the new U.S. Constitution of 1787. He did this in 1789, and his proclamation set forth a day of public thanksgiving for the final Thursday in November, just as Hansen had done before him. 
Another enigmatic figure in American presidential history might just have been the only man who headed the office of the American presidency for one full day. In fact, David Rice Atchison's gravestone reads, President of U.S., one day. Atchison may have been president of the United States for one day, but no one is really sure. These are the facts. Atchison was president pro tempore of the Senate on March 4th, 1849, the day that President James K. Polk's term expired at noon and one full day before Zachary Taylor was to be sworn in. Zachary Taylor refused to take the oath on March 4th because it was a Sunday. Since Polk's vice president had resigned a few days before, David Rice Atchison, it would seem, was technically the only person legally allowed to exercise the powers of the presidency. By virtue of his being third in line in a succession, David Rice Atchison became president for one day. According to the law, the president pro tempore automatically becomes president when the presidency and vice presidency are vacant. Nothing really happened during Atchison's one day in office, though a few of his friends jokingly requested appointments to the cabinet. Atchison later told a local newspaper, Sunday, I went to bed. There had been two or three busy nights finishing up the work of the Senate, and then I pretty much slept most of that Sunday. It is important to clarify that David Rice Atchison never took the oath of office, never claimed to be president, and that his presidency for a day is more of a historical curiosity than an actual event of presidential succession. The true president, Zachary Taylor, was inaugurated on March 5, 1849, and Atchison remained as a U.S. senator until his term ended. During his one day as president, the government functions continued as usual, but no official decisions were made. Therefore, technically, Atchison never acted as the president of the United States. Today, this particular event is often used to illustrate the quirky aspects of the U.S. political system and to this day remains as one unusual scenario in American history. The last president on this list, and yes, this one was undoubtedly an American president, is Gerald Ford. Yet unlike the other 44 men to serve, he was never actually elected into the office as the president of the American people. Ford took the oath of office on August 9, 1974, after Richard Nixon's resignation amid the Watergate scandal. Ford became the first, and so far the only person, to become president without ever winning a general election for either president or vice president. The 25th Amendment of the Constitution allowed Ford to assume the presidency right after he was selected by Nixon to replace Spiro Agnew the vice president elected on the 1972 Republican ticket, who resigned in an unrelated scandal. Section 2 of the 25th Amendment gives the president the power to name a new vice president if that office becomes vacant with the permission of Congress. Nixon nominated Ford, who was the House Minority Leader, to take Agnew's position on October 12, 1973. The Senate voted 92-3 to to confirm Ford on November 27, 1973. And on December 6, 1973, the House confirmed him by a vote of 387 to 35. Before Nevada acted as the 38th state to ratify the 25th Amendment in February of 1967, a different line of presidential succession existed. This would have changed everything around Ford's ascendance, and perhaps he would never have been an American president. Before the ratification of the 25th Amendment, Speaker of the House Carl Albert, a Democrat, would have served as the acting president if Nixon had resigned without the 25th Amendment's condition being in effect. Instead, Ford made the transition to the presidency in 1974, with Albert as second in line to the White House for a brief period until Congress approved Nelson Rockefeller as Ford's very own vice president. Ford quickly acknowledged the situation after taking an oath administered by Chief Justice Warren Berger. The oath that I have taken 
taken is the same oath that was taken by George Washington and by every president under the Constitution. But I assumed a presidency under extraordinary circumstances never before experienced by Americans. This is an hour of history that troubles our minds and hurts our hearts, Ford told his audience. My fellow Americans, our long national nightmare is over. Our constitution works, our great republic is a government of laws and not of men. Here, the people rule. In another tidbit of interesting information, as the 30th president, Ford served for 895 days in office, the fifth shortest length of any president. When he lost an election bid in 1973 to Democrat Jimmy Carter, Ford was seen as a contender for the 1980 nomination, but he declined to run against Ronald Reagan for the GOP nomination. Hope you guys enjoyed this short lecture. Tom and I will be back later this week with a full episode. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. History is the greatest adventure story. But does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts.